we do want you to just teach us right now as we study uh, Leviticus 19. And Lord, once again, touch our hearts and, and show us, Lord, through your word again, how you desire for us to live in holiness. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Leviticus, the theme of Leviticus to remind you is holiness. And in the book of Leviticus, it is a book written to show the priests, and not only the priests, but the children of Israel as well, how they are to live in holiness, how they are to worship and obey and serve a holy God. And so that's what we've been looking at. And chapter 19 continues with uh, the moral and ceremonial laws that are given. But the theme of chapter 19, and particularly the rest of the book, is this is how you can live in holiness unto the Lord. So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So you see this theme of holiness that is uh, present here in this chapter. And Peter would take verse 2 here, and he would use it in his epistle in First Peter chapter 1, verse 16, as he would say it's written that you are to be obedient children, not fashioning yourselves to the former lusts and ignorance, but yes, it is written that be holy for I am holy. He's quoting here from the book of Leviticus. And again, as we see that, um, Leviticus is quoted quite often in the New Testament. One of the things when we get done here this spring and in just a couple months with the book of Matthew, we're going to do a study in the book of Hebrews because I haven't gone through Hebrews for a number of years. So we're going to go through Hebrews and have a really good understanding of Hebrews. Um, you need to have an understanding of the book of Leviticus. So you that have been coming to the study in Leviticus, you're going to have a real good understanding and foundation as we go through this wonderful book of Hebrews uh, later on this spring. But Peter here quoting, saying that, that we are to be holy as Christians. Sometimes as Christians we think, well, holiness is for those uh, who are ministry leaders, those who are pastors, those who are um, evangelists, those who perhaps are priests, whatever it might be, and we live under grace, so we're not really called to that holiness, and nothing could be further than the truth. Living in grace means that we're free to live for the Lord. Um, we're free not to sin. Living in grace means that we are to live in holiness as we are called to by the writers of the New Testament as they're inspired by God. And so as we live in holiness, not after the flesh, uh, it means that we are living and thinking the way that God wants us to. We are separated from the uncleanness and the unholiness and the sin of the world, the ways of the world. And so as we go through this chapter here very quickly, we're going to see that um, as you go through it, that you think it's just a random collection of thoughts in these moral and ceremonial laws. But what we can do is we can look at it and we can make application because it is a little bit comparing apples to oranges, isn't it? Because we're not under the law. We're not going to be giving grain offerings. We're not uh, here in these very particular uh, instructions that are given to us. But we can look at it and we can see the concept of what, Jesus, uh, what the Lord is saying and how the Lord desires for us to live for Him and how it pleases Him in a way that we live our lives for Him in holiness concerning our families, relationships, our worship, and so forth. So understand that holiness is something that we're called to do, right? called to live. And there's reasons for that. First of all, very practical reasons. As you live in holiness, it's a higher way of living. It really is. It's a better way of living. Sometimes when Christians hear that word holiness, they picture perhaps me sitting up here with a bony finger pointing it at everybody saying, you need to live in holiness. And they picture restriction, don't they? 
that life is now a drag and I'm never going to have any fun, but nothing could be further from the truth than that. And that is, when we're called to holiness, we're called to a higher way of living, a better way of living, and being free from the bondage of sin, the consequences of sin. Um, we have direction in our lives. We get to live in God's wisdom. And the thing about holiness is we can't live in holiness by ourselves. It has to be a work of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. So submitting to God, desiring to live for Him and please Him with their lives, it's a better way of living and the way to experience that abundant life that God has for you and for me, that which Jesus promised us. I come to give you life and life abundantly. But there's also a responsibility in holiness as well. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? We have a responsibility as Christians that we represent the Lord. And as we represent the Lord, we are a witness, we are an ambassador for Christ, representatives of Christ, and not only the words that we speak, but the way that we live our lives. And so as we live in holiness, what we are demonstrating to a world that lives in darkness and apart from Jesus Christ, as we are saying that we are different because Jesus Christ has made us different, he has saved us, our hearts have been regenerated, we've been born again by the Spirit of God, and we, it is evident in the way that we live. But if we only are a witness with a words, yeah, you need to come to Jesus Christ, but we live totally different apart from the way that God wants us to and after the ways of the world, it doesn't make sense to the world. It's a mixed message. What we're going to see here in just a few verses here is the Lord's going to say, don't mix things. Don't mix, mix wool and linen and your seeds and all of this and we'll make application. But we don't want to give a mixed message to people in just uh, living differently um, than what we're supposed to according to the Lord. Living after the world. We want to be representatives of the Lord in the way that we live, in our conduct, in our speech, in our behavior, in um, our love, in our purity. That's what Timothy was told to be an example in. And so we're called the holiness. So verse three, how is it that we become holy? Well, we start to read every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord, your God. So it begins in the home, as we see here, it begins as you reverence or respect your parents and parents. Again, you know that I've, I've mentioned this and I emphasize this. It is so important, particularly in our days that we teach our children to respect parents to respect them, what God has to say about that. Because Hollywood comes around, entertainment world, and the philosophy of the world comes and, and makes fun of you know, your authority as a parent. Hollywood comes along in, in the shows and stuff, and it's cool for kids to deceive their parents and rebel against their parents and all of this. And we need to be careful about that. And so I believe that the Lord here emphasizing all throughout his word. And then Paul picks this up, doesn't he? For example, in Ephesians chapter six, and he says that children, you're to obey your parents. You're to honor your father and your mother. We're called to honor them. We're called to be subject to them as long as we're living under their homes. That's one of the things that I emphasize to the youth kids uh, when I meet with them and I talk with them. And we are called to respect our parents. And, and that's something that honors the Lord. And then as we talk to our kids about that, again, not only is there that, that practical side, that honoring mom and dad, but it pleases the Lord when we do that. We're dealing with their hearts. Do so you understand? When we go to them, when kids become disrespectful to us or rebellious, as we can go to them and say, listen, deal with their hearts in saying that God doesn't want you to do that. You got to understand, Billy, Sally, whoever it is, that you just didn't irritate mom in this. 
but you're being one that is disobedient to Heavenly Father. And to sit down and talk to them about what pleases the Lord and what the Lord has said. But learning respect for your mother and father is going to be worked out then in your life outside of the home, isn't it? Those who go to work and seem to always you know, be disrespectful to people and to others and stuff, they never learn that in the home. One of the things I was thinking about in my devotions was David. You know how David, he was one that he respected the position that Saul was in. Saul wasn't his, his parent. But when he was serving Saul, even though David had been anointed the king, and Saul would try to kill David and threw spears at David and chased him in the wilderness, David acted righteously and justly towards Saul. He had opportunity there in 1 Samuel to, to put Saul away, to kill him. And his men were saying, David, why didn't you? Why didn't you lop his head off? And David said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Let me ask you a question. Where do you think that he learned that respect for those in authority in, in the position that Saul was in? He learned it at home. I believe he learned it at home and he learned it by first of all learning to respect his parents. And it goes a long ways because all of us are going to grow up out of the house and we're going to be subject to those who are in authority over us. When it comes to the workplace, when it comes to even the church, things like that. And we need to learn to respect. We need to, and it's hard, I understand, to respect the position that people are in. I know it's hard to, to you know, some of you got bosses and those in authority over you that they live so much like the world. I, I understand that. It's pretty rough. But David was one that was treated so unjustly and unfairly, but he respected the position that Saul was in and said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed because he learned that at home. Jesus was one that learned to be subject to his parents. We know that from Luke chapter 2, right? He's in the temple. He's 12 years old. His parents find him and said, what are you doing? And it still amazes me. They didn't fully understand what was going on with Jesus that, that I don't think they fully understood that he was the Messiah because they looked for three days for Jesus and they found him in the temple. If they would have known that he was God's son, you'd think that they would have started at the temple first. You know, where'd you think he was? Down at the Jerusalem disco, boogieing away all night, you know? He's at the temple. He's teaching. He's about his father's business, wasn't he? And it says that he went home with his parents and with Joseph and Mary, Joseph being his stepfather. And he was subject to them. And so it starts in the home and, and talking to our kids about respecting mom and dad, respecting those, you know, in authority later on in life and showing respect for that. Because we live in a country where we, we don't like to show a lot of respect to people. We like to come against those that are in positions of authority and we love to tear people down and all of this and show disrespect. And we're not to be that way as Christians. Once again, keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. The Sabbath being reiterated. We've talked quite extensively about the Sabbath as we've gone through Exodus and also Leviticus. Verse 4, Do not turn to idols nor make for yourselves molden gods. I am the Lord your God. They were headed to Canaan where there was a lot of idol worship. They just came from Egypt where there was a lot of idol worship. They had already made a golden calf and danced around it nakedly. So the Lord is going to emphasize to them over and over again, don't get involved in idol worship. Of course, the Ten Commandments is that you are to worship me, no other gods before me, and you're not to make any carved images. 
Verse 5, And if you offer a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it in your own free will. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, and on the next day, and if any remain until the third day, it shall be burned within the fire. And then verse 7, And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. And therefore, anyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. And so we see here, the peace offering that we discussed clear back in chapter 3 was a free will offering. It was a fellowship offering, wasn't it? It was where you ate, the priest ate part of the, the, um, the peace offering. You ate part of the peace offering and part of it was given to God. And in the ancient world, if you ate with somebody or a symbol of eating, it was close fellowship and, and in intimate closeness is what it symbolized. So that's why part of the peace offering was eaten. And you were to eat it on that same day. And you could eat it the next day, the third day, you're to get rid of it because it's stale and it isn't any good. So we've looked at all of that, how the Lord desires for us to have closeness and intimacy with Him as we fellowship with Him. And that's why in Revelation chapter 3, that has special meaning when we read that verse that we're familiar with, that behold, I stand at the door, as Jesus is talking, and I knock. He knocks on the door of our hearts. And as we open up that door, He will come in and what? Dine with us, sup with us. wants to have closeness and intimacy with us. So how do you keep that intimacy and closeness from going stale? Do it every day. Have fellowship with the Lord. Stay close to Him. But if we miss day after day after day, that closeness begins to go stale. And so that's the application that we can make. Verse 9, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So this, this law of reaping and harvesting, this was a way to provide for the poor, the owners of the field. What they were to do is leave the corners of the fields so that those who were poor could go in. They couldn't take a sickle and start harvesting, but they could pick the grain, and that's the way that they uh, would provide for them to eat. Same with the vineyards. Not all the grapes were taken. Also, we're going to see later on in the law that any of the grain at harvest time that was dumped on the ground that it was to be left there for those who are poor. And you remember, this is all worked out in Ruth, in the book of Ruth. Ruth was there in the field. She was gleaning the fields because you know, she was one that was a widow and, and she came back with Naomi and they were poor. And it, it was uh, Boaz that noticed her and it was harvest time and he said to the guys, kind of, will you just dump a little extra grain on the ground for Ruth? So that was the way to provide for them. You recall in Matthew chapter 12 that Jesus and his disciples were doing what? They were in the fields and they were picking the heads of grain, weren't they? And it was the religious leaders, the Pharisees, that got very upset at the disciples and said to Jesus, what your disciples are doing is unlawful to do on the Sabbath day. They were not upset that they were picking the heads of grain. That was lawful according to Leviticus chapter 19 here. But they were upset because they were doing it on the Sabbath and they considered that to be work. And so 
this law here a provision for those who are poor. They didn't have disability. They didn't have welfare or any of those things given to people at that time. So God had, as we have already seen in Exodus, and we'll see it reiterated here in this chapter, has a heart for the poor and for the widows, for the orphans and for the stranger in the land. In verse 11, And you shall not steal nor deal falsely nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. And so we see here, dealing with others, that you are to deal with others honestly. You don't steal. You don't lie. You don't deal falsely. You don't cheat them. You don't hold back wages. You pay them that day. Because if you don't pay them that evening, what are they going to be able to buy food with? So you need to pay up before sunset. You don't swear falsely by my name. So these things... We look at and say, certainly we want to deal with people in an honest way, in a good way. We are to, to treat others differently as Christians. Not the way that the world treats people. Taking advantage of people, uh, scamming people, trying to get up on people. Uh, we are to be different as Christians. And we're living at a time where we see all this economic upheaval. There are so many scams that are out there. It's amazing what people are trying to do to cheat and get ahead and make a buck and and swindle people and praying on the elderly. And God says, no. He says, no. You don't do that. In verse 14, you shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You read that and you think, well, of course not. I would never curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. It's, It's talking here about human compassion and decency. Don't stumble that person who is spiritually blind. Don't stumble them. By the way that you conduct your life and your witness in the way that you live. And I have talked to those who aren't believers and they say, you Christians, I watched a Christian at my workplace or in my neighborhood and how they lived, it was no different than the world and it stumbled me. And I don't think people of the world are looking for us to be perfect and we're not. We're perfectly forgiven. But the reality of Jesus Christ is being worked out in our lives. Don't stumble those who are spiritually blind. But you be one that you provide a way for them to have opportunity to have that blindness taken away and to be on that road to eternal life and that is Jesus Christ. But we don't want to stumble those who are blind. Those who are deaf, we want to, to, to you know, curse them. We, we want to have compassion. Because at one time we were lost and headed for hell. And we want to have a heart for the lost and those who need Jesus Christ and be a witness to them. And pray for them. In verse 15, You shall not do injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. I love the balance that the Scripture says here. Have compassion, decency, don't stumble. Have a heart, but you don't compromise. Okay? You don't compromise even to the poor. You don't compromise to the rich, but you deal in righteousness. You shall judge your neighbor. This was instructions given to those judges who are going to render judgment. Do it according to God's word and God's truth and, and the way that God has it spelled out in this word. And then verse 16, you shall not go about as a tail bearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life 
of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor, not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. A um, a talebearer is essentially a gossiper. Oh, we love the gossip in our society, don't we? All the news media and the news talk shows and we love to, to have the shows on or how many shows are on TV, I don't know. They deal with Hollywood and the latest gossip on this guy and Hollywood this and entertainment that and, and what the latest person is doing and the greatest number of hits on the internet last year was concerning Britney Spears and what was the latest thing with her and what's the latest gossip and all that. Paul gave some real good advice to the church at Thessalonica. He said, listen guys, aspire to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business and work with your hands. I like that. We don't always have to be in the know about everybody. We should be praying more. And talking less, I think. And encouraging and building up. Let's get away from the gossip stuff. All it does is tear down. All it does is... is it's it's just something that's not pleasing to the Lord whatsoever. And in this we see that don't bear false witness or hate your brother and your neighbor. Don't take vengeance. God says vengeance is mine. Don't take it out on the children. Isn't that interesting that we see that he says that? You don't take it out on the children in the verses um, that, that we read here um, in verse 18. Don't bear any grudge against the children of your people. That can happen. I remember I was talking with a pastor not long ago that pastoring somewhere else and he was telling me of somebody that was in his leadership that all of a sudden had this grudge and, and, and all of a sudden was taking it out on his, his children and the things he was saying and doing was awful. I remember hearing a story on the radio a few months back it went during the political campaign and, um, and one of the guys that were running for local office, he was talking about how he was at the stampede and he was handing out him and his daughter um, some flyers or buttons and some candy and a little six-year-old daughter and they gave it to one man and one man took it and threw it down, you know, took it from the six-year-old daughter, threw it down on the ground and he said, I hate your dad. Isn't that terrible? We don't act that way as Christians. No matter what our views are. Again, there's there's decency that we are to show towards others. And that's what the Lord is saying here. Here's my guidelines. Here's how you are to see others. In verse 19, you shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. No mixing linen, wool, seeds. You know, those of you who, uh, this is the agriculture area. We go through the fields. We see corn fields, onion fields, you know, winter wheat. We don't see it all mixed up, do we? We don't see a little bit of corn and some onions and then winter wheat and some sugar beets or whatever. It's, it's don't mix the seeds up. Farmers don't mix the seed up and just go out and start throwing it out. All this mixture. We as Christians, that first of all, we're told that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's something that I tell single young people, that you make sure that you wait for that person who's going to be godly, who's going to be one that's you know, yoke with you spiritually. Yoke means to be joined with. It may have other application, maybe being yoked to somebody in business, you're partnering with them or whatever it might be. 
Don't be unequally yoked and have different kinds of applications as Paul would write to the believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't mix God's Word with that the world philosophy. That's a lot of that going on in the world today. In the church today, that is. Let's mix the truth and a lot of you know world's philosophy and deception. We don't want to mix how God desires for us to minister and in the world's way. And there's so much emphasis of that. Why don't we entertain, you know, the people? Why don't we, you know, have big productions and all of this? You know, one of the things about the church, we can't do things. We try to copy the ways of the world, the entertainment of the world, or whatever it might be. We can't do it as well as the world. (laughs) We don't. We try to. So leave the world out there. Let's do what God desires for us to do. And let's do it God's way in the pattern that He's given to us. And that's the pattern spelled out in His Word. So we don't want there to be a mixture. We don't want there to be a mixture in the way that we live our lives. We come to church, we speak, you know, use Christian terms, we say hallelujah and all of this, and then we go out and we live according to the world. So don't have mixture in your life. Just live for the Lord and what pleases Him. Verse 20, Whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man as a concubine who has not at all been redeemed, nor given her freedom for this, there shall be scourging, but they shall not be put to death because she was not free. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord to the door of the tabernacle meeting, the ram of the trespass offering. The priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin, which he has committed, and the sin which he has committed shall be forgiven him. Verse 23, And when you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised three years. It shall be as uncircumcised to you, and it shall not be eaten. But the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. And in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. So after the Lord talks about, again, the law of, of uh, physical relations with the concubine that we saw spelled out in the previous chapter. So he's reiterating that again. He talks about when you go into the land and start planting trees, God is the, the best dendrologist that there is. He knows what is best to produce a fruit. He says, you know what? You're not going to have any fruit first, second, third year. The fourth year, I get the first fruits. And in the fifth year, I'm going to bless you and you're going to have abundant fruit. I'll tell you this, you and I are to bear fruit unto the Lord, aren't we? And the way to do that is to abide in Christ, but it takes time. It takes time. Let the Lord do the work that He wants to. But as you abide in Him, abide in His Word, abide in His love, John chapter 15, then you shall bear forth much fruit, and that fruit's going to remain. Give Him the first fruits of your life. Give Him your heart. Give Him your time, your energy, resources. Lord, I surrender completely to You. It starts there. And then abide in Him and let Him work that fruit through you. You don't have to strain or struggle. Just abide in Christ and fruit will naturally be produced. And so verse 26, You shall not eat anything with the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. So again, um, we talked about how they were not to eat the blood because uh, life is in the blood, not to be involved in occultic practices. Verse 27, You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the uh, edges of your beard. If you go to Israel and you see the Orthodox Jews and they're really burly and they don't trim their beards, that's what they're taking this from. Now again, this was... Because when they went into the land of Canaan, 
that there were those associated with pagan and idolatrous practices and beliefs that would trim their beards a certain way. The Lord said, I don't want you to associate with that. In verse 28, you shall not make any cuttings in your flesh from the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Now, again, one of the characteristics of the pagan beliefs is they would cut themselves. We see that in 1 Kings. Remember that Elijah gave that challenge to the prophets of Baal? Call down fire from heaven. You call out to Baal, see if he'll answer you to consume the sacrifice. And they would call and scream all night long, the prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel, and their God didn't hear them. That's because their God didn't exist. It was false. And so Elijah began to say, what's the matter? Doesn't he hear you? Is he busy? What's the deal? So they began to yell out even more, and we saw that they began to cut themselves, didn't they? So that was one of the characteristics of those pagan beliefs that they would cut themselves, emulate themselves. We're going to see when we go into the book of Judges that the children of Israel began to compromise in that area. Also, don't mark yourself with a tattoo. Now, you don't know how bad I want to tell you. Don't get a tattoo. But, <laughs> but we're not under the law. And, um, and this, I don't believe is a prohibition against tattoos. But I just will say this. Again, it was, it was associated with the tattoos they had with pagan beliefs. I mean, I trim my beard. I mean, if you're going to take this literally, you know, you need to take it literally. But the thing is, we're under grace. And the one thing I will say, remember, they are permanent. <laughs> you know, I, I go run at the Funplex and um, the guys are in there and buff and, you know, razor, you know, you know, wire and swords and stuff. And once in a while, I kind of tease the guys. I say, remember, you're going to get kind of old like me and you start putting on a few pounds and, you know, it's not going to be so buff, you know, after a while. <laughs> but here he's talking about marking yourself as the pagan, you know, religions and what they did and stuff. So that's between you and the Lord, what you do with that. So as far as tattoos. Verse 29, do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot, lest the land full of uh, fall into holler tree and the land become full of wickedness. Now you think, well, who would do that? They do that still in different parts of the world. Been to Thailand, and if you go to Thailand, it is the capital of child prostitution. It's horrible. Bangkok, absolutely horrible. And there are places in Bangkok that you can go, and there are men that come from. Australia that fly in from Europe, from the western, you know, United States and Canada. And they go down to these certain areas to pick up children. It is not an uncommon sight. And I don't mean to be vulgar or anything, but you need to understand this happens and how wicked our world is to see a, a man in his 40s walking down the street holding hands with a 12-year-old boy. And the same with the girls, giving the prostitution to make money for their family. I remember being in Chiang Rai up in northern Thailand, and we were at the hospital visiting one of the girls in the orphanage. We, we support um, Bonnie Manuel, the orphanage there in Thailand. And one of the girls got sick, and it's different in the hospitals. It's like this huge room, bigger than this room, twice as big, and all these beds are lined up. And the doctors will come in and treat, but they don't have the nurses like we do. Our nurses here are just wonderful, and they take care of the parent, uh, patients in such a wonderful way. They don't have that. So the families have to come in and take care of the patients. 
And so we were there, one of the girls in the orphanage ended up in the hospital. So Ron Miller and I and a couple of us were there visiting with her and praying with her. And all of a sudden, a tap on my shoulder, it was this older um, Thai woman that came and, and asked Ron in, in her language, can you come pray for my daughter? She was about 14 years old. She was dying of AIDS because she'd been out prostituting. And so we witnessed to her and gave her the gospel. She gave her life to the Lord and she died about a week later. So these things happen in different parts of the world. How the world needs to hear about Jesus Christ. You shall keep my Sabbath, verse 30, and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to defile, uh, to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. You know, one of the things that has blessed me about what we've seen more people come to Calvary Chapel, sometimes you go to churches and there's a lot of young people or you go to churches and there's just a lot of old people, you know, elderly people. Here, I love to see that we got such a wonderful mixture of elderly people, young people, and we are to honor the elderly, the gray-headed. And I am so blessed that they're here because they have so much to offer. They're a tremendous blessing. And I'm so glad that those who are older, that you're here taking in the Word of God and being a blessing to us. It's an honor to have you here. And we are to honor you is what God's Word says. And what a blessing that you are to us and being here. What wisdom that you have to give to us. And so here, honor them. It's fearing the Lord when you do. In verse 33, if And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, and honest ephah, and honest hen. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes, all my judgments, perform them. I am the Lord. So again, closing with, you be honest in your dealings. When you have a business, be honest. When you're dealing with people, you be honest. But also, I want to end with this, just real quick, and don't Don't tune me out here because I think this is important. When it comes to the stranger that dwells in your land, you shall not mistreat him. Now, one of the things, any of you that have traveled overseas, when you go to a different country, when I go to Uganda, when I go to Sudan, if I go anywhere, you feel so vulnerable to being mistreated because you're no longer under the laws of the land, under the customs that you're used to in your society. You're in a completely different area in a different place and you understand real quick that you can be easily taken advantage of and mistreated. So I want to bring this home a little bit closer. A stranger that comes walking into this place. Let's treat them with love and let's treat them well. Because I know that some of you that walked in, you were strangers when you came in. You didn't know the Lord. You didn't have a family. You you didn't have the joy of the Lord. Whatever it may be. And you came into this place. And now you're a part of this family. You're a part of God's family. in this church. But as we go through this year, I believe that the Lord is going to send us a lot of strangers. And may we show love to them and compassion to them. And we welcome them and we give them truth 
the truth of God's Word and hope through the gospel message that we have to give to them. But remember that they're vulnerable and they need to know that there are people that care and have a heart for those who are strangers to God in the kingdom of God. That we may welcome them and give them truth and continue to minister and pray for them that they would no longer be a stranger. No longer a distance, as Paul would write to the Galatian believers and the Ephesian believers. You're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. That we would remember that and keep loving people as they come here and they would see the reality of Jesus' love through us. And so, Father, we thank You. And Lord, we know that we can, Lord, tonight even be reminded of that love as we come to the communion table. And as we just open up the communion table for those to come to take the elements and Lord, to partake of them, remembering that Jesus died for us, allowing His body to be broken and His blood to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. And so, Lord, I pray that we were once strangers from You, but now have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that right now as we just continue the worship and open up the communion table, that, Lord, that You would just, again, continue to draw us close to Yourself in communion with You and in worship.